Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. What does that mean, that we're programmed to recognize certain things? Well, if you look at culture, culture tells us there are five races. There's the African race, there's the European race, there's the Asian race, uh, there's Native American race, which would also include like Eskimos, and then there's the Oceania race. That would include like Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, uh, the native people of Australia. So those are your, your five races. And that is, whether you understand it or not, that is drilled into your head from the day you're born. For example, how many of you have ever filled out a form? And right there where it asks you your driver's license and your phone and your email, it says, which race are you? Which group do you belong in? Something about you physically, your color, your eye shape, the texture of your hair, puts you in a... Tell me which one it is. Anybody here? Ever? It, it's just like it's a fact. It's just a fact. If you go to the dictionary and look up the word race, right there in the very first definition, it says this. A group of people identified as distinct or different from other groups based on physical or genetic traits. So there's something about you, culture says, that, that physically about you that puts you in this group or this group or this group. And here's the thing. Even when we try to do good, we end up reinforcing the same message. Let me give you an example. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. The red ones and the yellow ones and the black ones and the white ones. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand what that song's trying to do. It's trying to teach children that God loves everybody. But even as it teaches that, it's subtly saying to them, you belong in this group, or you belong in this group, or you belong in that group, or in that group, just because of the color of your skin. So even when we try to do good, we can't get away from it because it's so ingrained in our thinking. So... Tonight, we want to know, okay, what is the truth about race? And if we want to know the truth about race, we, all, we start with the Bible, okay? What does the Bible say about race? Well, I'm, I'm going to make it really simple for you. According to the Bible, there is one race, and that is what? The human race. According to the Bible, there's one race, and that's the human race. You see, in our world, race is a word that's used to differentiate people based on some physical attribute, like color. And that's one we're most, you know, we're most familiar with. But the Bible never, I mean never, uses that type of language at all. What I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to give you a, a brief biblical theology of race. And what does the Bible say about Race, And what you're going to find is it says very little. Um, let's start with this, something we should all know. First of all, all people are created in the image of God. Okay, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created 
them. What does that mean? That means that human beings, we're not exactly like God. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful. But we have certain characteristics of God in a limited way that makes us different from the plants and the animals. We're, we're self-aware. We're, we're logical beings. We can reason and think. We have emotions and compassion. We make moral choices. C.S. Lewis tells a story in his book, Mere Christianity, about a man who's walking across a bridge, and underneath the bridge is a, is a raging river. And he looks over and he sees somebody drowning. And, and he's got two competing things in his mind. The first thing says, do not jump in that river. That's called the, the instinct of self-preservation, right? Don't gump and jump in that river because you're going to die. But at the very same time, something else is telling him, get in there and rescue that person. Risk your life to help. Where does that come from? That's God. See, that's the image of God. That doesn't come from evolution. That doesn't come from uh, the herd instinct or any of that. That's, that. Where does that come from? That's the image of God in us. That's what God does. Psalms 8.5 says this, You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, talking about us, and crowned him with glory and honor. That's us that he's talking about. The fact that we have these characteristics of God crowns us with glory and honor. Now, what that means is every human being, regardless of their skin color, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of whether they're tall or short or male or female, disabled or enabled, it doesn't matter. All human beings are born with an innate dignity and innate worth or value. The second thing the Bible teaches us is that we all have common biological ancestors. Genesis 3.20 says this, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, two weeks ago in our lesson on truth, we told you that, that science has confirmed this. We've sequenced the human genome. We know all about DNA, and they've tracked it all the way back, and science confirms that absolutely we come from common ancestors like Adam and Eve. Acts 17, 26 says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Number three, Scripture uses mankind over 50 times to describe the human race. Let me give you a couple of examples. Job 12.10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Ephesians 2.3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh like the rest of mankind. Now, the Bible certainly understands that we have differences. It gets that. In fact, God, it, we'll talk about this in next week at the Tower of Babel. Of Babel he, he, he separated us, right? He, he confused our languages and everybody split to different parts of the world. The Bible understands we have differences, but I want you to notice the language it uses when it describes our differences. For example, Genesis 12, 3, God said this to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, in some translations, say peoples of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 67, 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. 
Luke 2, 29 to 31. This is Simeon when Jesus is brought to the temple. He said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. These are the words that the Bible uses when it talks about our differences. It describes us as peoples or tribes or families or nations or languages. Now, this is what we would refer to in, in our English language as ethnicity. You see, unlike race, which is physical, ethnicity is based on what country you came from or what language you speak or your traditions or your cultures. That's how the, ba the Bible would separate us based on our ethnicity. This is how the Bible describes our differences. Not one time, not one time does it ever use physical traits to put us into groups. Not one time. Now, Scripture certainly recognizes color, but it's never used to differentiate people. In fact, I searched high and low to try to find some Scriptures about color. I could only really find one. I found a couple of Scriptures where they, they said his complexion was ruddy or, you know, when Esau came out, he had a red complexion and things like that. But I can really only find one Scripture that deals with color. And, and I want you to watch how ironic this is. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three, He says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Now, by the way, those are rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is no. A man can't change his skin. A leopard can't change his spots. In the same way, the prophet says, those of you who do evil, you can't do good. It's ironic that the one time he refers to a man's skin color, it's actually being used as an analogy to show that we're all evil, that none of us are good, that we're all separated from God. But that's it. That's it. It's never used to put us into racial groups. Number four, some of you may wonder, well, does the scripture ever use the word race? Well, it depends on your translation, but it's used very, very seldom. For example, the King James Version uses it none. You won't see the word race other than, um, uh, you know, run a race. But as far as race, the human race, anything like that, the King James Version does not use it. By the way, the, the Hebrew word used in those translations is for race is Zara, and the Greek word which is used in those translations is genos. Both of those words just mean offspring, family, generation. That's all it means. The NASB uses it twice. The ESV uses it four times, and they always use it one of two ways. The first one is obvious. They use it to refer to the human race. James 3, 7, this is the New American Standard. It says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. And some translations just say tamed by mankind. The other way that it's used is in a spiritual sense to uh, identify a holy or chosen race. This is important. This has nothing to do with, being, with physical. It has to do with the spiritual, whether you are a believer, whether you are elect, whether you are set apart for God's use. For example, 1 Peter 2.9 in the ESV says, but you are a chosen race. The, I, I think it's also used in Ezra 9.2 of the Jewish people at one time as a holy race. In other words, the idea here has nothing physical. It is a spiritual notation. 
So this is what the Bible teaches. When it comes to the physical, there is only one race. But by the way, when it comes to the spiritual, there are two. There are, there's the holy race, and then there's the unholy. There's the chosen race, and then there's the not chosen. And by the way, let me give you some good news. The holy race, the chosen race, it's open to everybody. Listen to Revelation 7 and 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language clothed in white robes. You want to be in that race, folks. That's the race you want to be in is the chosen race, the holy race. But that's it. That's the only way Bible, the Bible ever refers to race. Now, let me say two things. First of all, there's only one race, which means that in the physical sense, there is no such thing as interracial marriage. That is a completely made-up cultural thing that does not exist in the Bible, in the physical sense. There is an interracial marriage in the spiritual sense. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you are in the holy race, if you're in the chosen race, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Number five, what the Bible teaches, God is impartial. God is impartial. Let me tell you, race does not exist in the Bible, but racism does. Do you remember last week, some of the arguments that they'll use abortion, they'll say, well, abortion's not in the Bible. Y'all remember that? And I said, well, neither is pyramid schemes. You don't find carjackings in the Bible. Does that mean they're okay? Well, of course not. See, the Bible doesn't try to, try to denote every little thing that somebody could do. What it does, it gives us these big truths. For example, thou shalt not steal. And thou shalt not steal covers carjackings and pyramid schemes and all of that. Well, the Bible has this idea that you, God is impartial. And you and I are to be impartial. And underneath impartial comes racism. See, you can be impartial be, uh, or partial to somebody because they got certain wealth. You can be partial to somebody because they come from a certain country. You can be partial to people because of their skin color. It all falls under impartiality. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Acts 10, 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And James puts it this way, If you show partiality, if you show partiality because somebody's got money, if you show partiality because somebody's got status, if you show partiality because of the color of their skin, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now, the Bible teaches us there's no such thing as race. There's one race, the human race. But that has not stopped people throughout the years from twisting Scripture to justify racism. Okay? Now, let me say this, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and I'm going to tell you right up front, this may make some people uncomfortable. But sometimes that's what truth does. Sometimes truth makes me uncomfortable. But I'm going to give you a couple of examples. But before I do, I want to point something out. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and taken to Rome. He, he knows that. In fact, they've already prophesied. Somebody prophesied and told him, don't go there. Because they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to arrest you. 
And he said, man, I'm going. And he comes to a town called Miletus, and he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church, and they come to him, and he, and he meets with them. And this is what he said. He knows this is the last time that he'll talk to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And this is what he says. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from among your own selves, from within your own people, from your own flock, from, from your own body, men will rise up speaking twisted things. See, Paul told the Ephesian church it's happened in every, uh, every era. Every, it, it always happens. We shouldn't be surprised of that, but we need to be uh, aware of it. I want to give you two examples of not tonight. And like I said, this may be a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm doing it for a, a purpose and a reason. I want to give you two examples of how people have twisted Scripture in order to justify racism. The first one is called the curse of Cain. And this was to explain the origination of black skin. Now, I want you to imagine 200 years ago, some little child walks up to their daddy and says, Daddy, why do some people have black skin? And daddy says, well, let me turn here to Genesis, honey. And let me show you why. By the way, next week, I'm going to spend time and I'm going to show you exactly why some people have. And by the way, there is no white and black. There's just shades of brown. There is no white or black. I wish I had a piece of white paper I could hold up right now. I'm not white. I'm brown. We're just different shades of brown. That's all we are. But somebody decided way back that they were going to explain how people had black skin. Now, notice, notice just the, what they tried to do. The curse of Cain and black skin. Curse and black, right? The, the, the whole idea was that this thing was a curse. Let's, let's read about what happened. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel's a, a keeper of sheep. Uh, a, uh, Cain is a, is a gardener or a farmer, and they decide uh, it comes time to bring an offering to God. And Abel brings some sheep, and Cain brings some vegetables, and God accepts Cain's offering, and he rejects, I'm sorry, he accepts Abel's and rejects Cain. Cain gets mad, finds his brother out in the field, and kills him. Okay? Genesis 4, verse 10, God comes to him, and the Lord said to him, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So from now on, God says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found, find him should attack him. And so there's been this, this, this thing out there for a couple hundred, three hundred years where people said, well, see, that the mark of Cain was black skin. Well, is that true? <laughs> of course it's not true. It's absolutely, it's not just ridiculous, it's absolutely laughable. Number one, Cain's punishment, the curse, is linked to his crime. Did you know what he said? He said, he says, your brother's blood calls to me from the ground. Therefore, the curse is this. When you work the ground, it'll no longer yield to you its strength or its bounty. You see, God's curse was to deprive Cain of the thing that he was really good at. 
See, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a, a worker or a tender of the ground. And God says, you know this thing you're really good at? You're cursed at that thing. So that was the curse, was he cursed the ground. Now, the mark that he put on him, by the way, it never says what it is. We have no idea what it is. Any, 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 you know, any idea would just be conjecture. But here's the thing. Whatever the mark was, it had absolutely nothing to do with the curse. It was for his protection. Remember what he said? He said, I'll be a wonder. People will attack me and kill me. So the Lord gave him the mark, not as part of the curse. He gave him the mark, whatever it was, as part of the protection. By the way, there is absolutely no mention in the curse of it being on his descendants. The curse was for him and him alone. And by the way, even if it had been on his descendants, his descendants would have died out from the flood because Noah was descended from Seth, which was Adam's third son. So all of Cain's descendants would be dead anyway. That is absolutely ridiculous. But there's even one worse than that. This is called the curse of Ham. You'll find this in Genesis 9, 22 to 29. This was uh, pretty obvious what this was about. This kind of came about in the 16th and 17th centuries. Um, slaveholders, uh, people that were for slavery use this to justify the institution of slavery. I want to give you a couple of quotes, and I want you to remember these guys' names because I'm going to bring them up at the end of the lesson. This first quote is from a guy by the name of Iveson Brooks. He was a Baptist pastor in the 1800s and a trustee of the Southern Seminary. He said this, Slavery is an institution of heaven, and intended for the mutual benefit of master and slave, as proved by the Bible. God himself authorized Noah to doom the posterity or the descendants of Ham. Let me give you another one. This is Patrick Mail, also in the 1800s. He was the fourth president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said this, From Ham were descended the nations that now constitute the African race. Their inheritance, according to prophecy, has been and will continue to be slavery. So long as we have the Bible, we expect to maintain it. So what they did is they, they reached into the Bible, into Genesis chapter 9, and they found this curse of Ham, and they used it to justify slavery. Now let's go look at it. Genesis 9, 18 through 27. We ought, when you come to this point in the Bible, there's been a flood. Noah's built the ark. It's now time for them to get off the ark. There's eight people on the ark. There's Noah and his wife, and he's got three sons. It says the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham, now this is important. You want to hold on to this. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dismissed. Listen, every one of us in here can trace our lineage back to one of these three men. Everybody here. Okay, this is, you, you go to one of those three men right there, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. This is our family tree. And it says, Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and he became drunk. And he lay uncovered in his tent. That's just a nice way of saying he was buck naked. And it says, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside, hey, daddy's in there naked. And it says, Shem and Japheth took a garment, like a blanket or whatever, and they laid it on their shoulders, 
and they walk backwards into the tent, and, and they put that blanket down over their father. And it says their faces were turned backwards, so they did not see their father's nakedness. Now listen, I have no idea. I cannot explain why it was such a bad thing in that day to see your father naked. Now, you can go read it, and a lot of people have, have gone down different roads, and maybe it meant this, and maybe it meant that. It doesn't really matter. Let's just all agree it was a bad thing, right? It, you just did not do this thing. In fact, it was so bad that his brothers literally walked in the tent backwards, would not look, because they would not allow it to happen to them. It says, when Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be, say it with me, Canaan. Is it Ham? No. It's not Ham. It's Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, this is the important thing you need to get out of that. The curse was not pronounced against Ham. It was pronounced against one of his four sons. Now, this is important. Do you remember those two guys that I, that I quoted? They both said the curse of what? Ham. Now, this must be a pretty big deal. In fact, let me give you a quote. This is a, a quote from the guy by the name of Josiah Priest. He, he wrote a book in 1843 called A Bible Defense of Slavery. And, and he realized, well, people are going to read that. They can open their Bibles and read it and see right there. It doesn't say Ham. It says Canaan. So this is his explanation. He says, lest the reader should become perplexed. We state that the Arabic copy of the book of Genesis, which is a language of equal authority with the Hebrew, and originally the same, reads, Cursed be Ham. Let me tell you why this is important. This is exactly what the Mormons do. This is exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. When you've twisted Scripture and you've twisted it to the point where you can't get any more out of it and you can't get it to say what you say, you go to another book and you say, well, the Bible's not translated correctly. The Bible's not interpreted. Come over here and look at my book. That's exactly what people do. They go outside the Scripture, and it's exactly what he did. He couldn't get the Bible to say what he wanted to say, so he just went to another book and said, hey, let's go over here to this Arabic copy that says, Cursed be Ham. Now, why was it so important that it be Ham? Why was it so important to these guys? The Bible says clearly it's not Ham, it's Canaan. Well, let me show you why. Go back and look at the family tree. At the top, you got Noah. Then you got his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And let's look at the sons of Ham. Ham had four sons. He had a son by the name of Cush. He had another son by the name of Egypt. He had another son by the name of Put, or sometimes you'll see an H in there called Foot. And then he had his fourth son named Canaan. You can read all this in Genesis chapter 10. Now, as you read through the chapter, it begins to tell you about these boys and their descendants. Cush is an interesting read. Cush had a son by the name of Nimrod. He, he founded a city by the name of Babel. You ever heard of that? Where they built a big tower. And he also, when he got tired of building that city, he went and founded a city called Nineveh. You ever heard of that? Jonah 3.3 3 tells us that Nineveh was so large, it took a man three days to walk across it. I mean, this guy was a, was a man's man. But we know where these cities are. We've excavated them. They're up in, the, in the, um, uh, the Fertile Crescent area, the old area called Mesopotamia. It's Assyria. It's what today is northern Iraq, Turkey, that whole area up in, up in there. But that's got nothing to do with black people. 
Then he's got another son named Egypt. Well, if you go read about Egypt, Egypt is where the Philistines come from. Well, we know where the Philistines lived. The Philistines lived on the west coast of, of Israel in the land of Canaan. We've excavated their, their cities. We know exactly where they were from. And then you come to this guy named Put, and the weirdest thing happens in the Bible. The Bible completely skips him. I mean, you go read it. It don't say nothing about him. Just, just skips him like he doesn't even exist. In fact, there are no sons or grandsons of Put recorded anywhere in the Bible. But there is something in this book called The Antiquities of the Jews, written by a guy by the name of Josephus, in 94 AD. So this is not the Bible. This is just some guy writing a history of the Jews. And he says that tradition says that Put was the founder of Libya. Now, if you know anything about Libya, Libya is on the north coast of Africa. So if you, if you put that in there, now you've got Noah to Ham, Ham to Put, Put to Africa. There you go, right? See, if God cursed Ham, then we've got an explanation for maybe we get to dark skin. But folks, he didn't curse Ham, he cursed Canaan. He cursed Canaan. And you know who, who the descendants of Canaan are, right? They're the Canaanites, they're the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zamorites, the Hamathites. They lived in Sodom and Gomorrah all the way from Sidon to Gaza. These were the inhabitants of Canaan. See, what, what Noah was prophesying is there's coming a day when your brothers will come out of Egypt and led by a man named Moses and they'll come to the promised land. And then they'll be led into the land of Canaan by a man named Joshua, and he'll subjugate those peoples. And that was fulfilled, completely fulfilled. You can go read about it in Joshua 9, 1 Kings 9. That's what Noah was talking about. By the way, those people are long gone. There's no Hittites or Jebusites or any of those ites anymore. They don't exist today. They reached into a story, and they completely twisted it, went outside the Bible to grab something and justify something. Now, here's my question. Why would they do that? Because they love their sin. They love their sin. And they'll do anything to justify their sin. You see, they twist Scripture in order to provide a theological justification for their pride. I'm better than you. I'm worth more than you. I'm more valuable than you. For their greed and for their racism. And by the way, when they've done twisted scripture, scripture they don't hesitate to go outside Scripture to pull in things that they can't get Scripture to say. And finally, by the way, while they're doing all of this and pointing to the Bible, they completely ignore text condemning man-stealing in Exodus 21 and 1 Timothy 1. And, of course, they completely ignore the texts that say, love your neighbor. Now listen, why did I take the time to go through all that? You want to guess? Because let me tell you, don't think we're any different. Don't think that we're any different. You see, you, we got to be very aware that we don't do the same thing. We may not do it on the scale of these men who, who had a big audience. 
But it's easy in our personal life to, to twist Scripture to make it, think, make it mean the things that we want it to mean to justify our sin. And we'll completely ignore other Scriptures while we're doing it. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. We've all got a propensity to do that, and we need to be aware. Let me ask you a question. Are there sins that you wish God would affirm? Are there sins that you wish God would affirm? Let me tell you, the devil's got a doctrine for you. He's got a doctrine for you. He just needs you to be open to it. Listen, let me tell you, and I, and, and I want to say this. If the curse of Ham teaches us anything, it's that we have to remain tethered to the Word of God in the context of a godly community. Let me say that again. We have to stay locked in to the Word of God, but we have to do it in a godly community that holds us accountable. Because we've all got that tendency. And let me say, do you not understand that's exactly what we have here at River of Life? Do you not see that? We've got a bunch of Bible-believing people that are holding each other accountable. We, this is what we've got. Folks, but listen, we've got to protect that. We've got to guard that. And we've got to grow it and nurture it because 25 years from now, 30 years from now, many of the, the people that have brought, they'll be gone. Who's going to fill their shoes? Who's going to step up and be bold and courageous and stand for the truth and keep this thing going? Who's going to do it? That's why lessons like this are so important. So in summary, Scripture teaches there is only one physical race. And that is, of course, the human race. Or let's put it in a scripture format. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't see the way man sees. Man looks on the outside. But God looks on the heart. That's, that's what the Bible's all about. God doesn't look see the way we see. Now, let's turn to science. It turns out... That science agrees 100% with the Bible. And, and some of you tonight are going to be shocked because I'm going to tell you some things you've never heard. But science agrees 100% with the Bible. But before I get to that, I want to say something. I don't care whether it agrees or not. I don't care whether science does. Listen, we li live in an incredible time. We really do. We live in a time where science and medical science and technology have made such advances that we're seeing things in the Bible validated over and over again. I said, I said a couple weeks ago, evolution, when, when Darwin came out with his theory of evolution, he, he said, in the years to come, all these holes will be filled in, in my theory. Well, technology, that ain't happened at all. It just blew more holes in it. But the Bible's being validated again and again and again and again. But what about the people that lived 100 years ago? What about the people that lived 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago? They don't know what we know, and they still believed. See, there's always going to come new fads. Listen to me. There's always going to come new fads in science or medicine or society. We're seeing it right now with gender. We're seeing it with critical race theory. We're seeing it with all these different things. They're fads. And whenever there comes a fad, there's always a temptation for the church to capitulate. And give in. Because you don't want to be on the outside. You, you want to be liked. Right? By the way, there's churches capitulating all across our nation. 
all across our nation right now because they don't want to be on the wrong side of history. But we've seen this before. For those of you that are old enough, you remember when overpopulation was going to destroy the planet? What happened to that? Now we're not having enough babies. They're, they're telling us we need to have more babies. There, Einstein in 1917 believed in a static universe until he discovered that it wasn't static. There was a guy that discovered canals on Mars. That was the greatest find ever. And all of a sudden, it, oh, my bad. I didn't, that was an optical illusion. How about bloodletting? In the Middle Ages, if you got sick, cutting edge science was they'd cut you and bleed you. What happened to that? Or how about lobotomies? Or how about evolution, which is on its death throes? See, they all make claims, but if you stick around long enough, they'll be proven false as time goes on. Listen, Christians, you have no cause to abandon the Bible just because some new fad or new idea or new, some new lifestyle becomes popular. Trust the Scripture. Trust the Scripture. Hang on to the Scripture. Listen, it may not be proven true in your lifetime, but if the Bible's true, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. I think about what we know today and all the people that came before us didn't know those things. And here we are, just got this incredible evidence in, in front of us. Now, science was once used to advance the idea that mankind was made up of different races, but no longer. Let me give you some headlines. This is from The Guardian in 2015. Why racism is not backed by science. The article says, as we harvest ever more human genomes, one fact remains unshakable. Race does not exist. Newsweek in 2014, there is no such thing as race. Scientific American in 2019, the concept of race is a lie. Live Science in 2014 said, race is a social concept, not a scientific one. National Geographic said this, there is no scientific basis for race. It is a made-up label. It's been used to define and separate people for millennia, but the concept of race is not grounded in genetics. And by the way, if you don't believe any of that, and you love Bill Nye the science guy, he also says that there is no such thing as race. How many of you are hearing that for the first time? I mean, it's, it's a known fact. It's scientifically, there's no such thing as race. It's a completely made-up thing that our society makes. See, we, we, we've sequenced the human genome. We know about DNA. And what we know now is that all humans have the same set of genes arranged in the same order. We know that the DNA of any two human beings is 99.9% .9 identical. And what this does is it scientifically validates two things. Number one, we are all one single biological race. Number two, we all have the same mom and daddy. That's a scientific fact. We are one race and we all have the same mom and daddy. So look around you, we're all brothers and sisters. Some of us may be third cousins, some of us may be 30th cousins, some of us may be 300th cousins, but we're all... So you're married to your sister. You may not want to know that, but <laughs> by the way, we'll talk about that more. We'll talk about more about that next week. Guy Harrison, uh, who's an author, he wrote a book in, in 2010 called The Myth of Race. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said, one day in the 1980s, I sat in the front row in my first undergraduate anthropology class, 
eager to learn more about this bizarre and fascinating species I was born into, but I got more than I expected that day as I heard for the first time that biological races are not real. I started to feel betrayed by my society. Why am I just hearing this now? Why didn't somebody teach this to me in elementary school? It seems that the belief in races is so embedded in our culture and has been such an integral part of our worldview for so long that many of us just assume it must be true. But it's not. Your culture has lied to you. Your culture is lying to you. Next week, I'm going to go into the science a little bit more. And here's why. I think it's important that as a parent and a grandparent, when your children ask you questions, for example, where do we get our skin color? You need to be able to tell them the truth. Don't say, well, go ask your biology teacher because she's going to tell them a lie. She's going to lie to them. You need to be equipped as a parent and a grandparent to answer that question right there. And let me tell you, it's going to be wild. In fact, I'm going to show you how those two girls, Maria and Lucy Almer, are twins. Same mama, same daddy, born at the same time. How's that possible? Because we serve this crazy, amazing God. I mean this incredible God who put enough genetic information in Adam and Eve to create every shade of brown that we see in this room here tonight. It's going to be crazy. I want to close with this. I've thought a lot this week about those two men. The one on the left is Iveson Brooks. He was the Baptist pastor. The one on the right is Patrick Mayle. He was the fourth, and you heard his quotes a while ago, right? I thought a lot about those guys this week. And I, and I thought, you know, th they were put on the stage. They had their chance to stand for truth, and they didn't. And here we are 200 years later holding them up as shame. It's shameful what they taught. It's shameful. And here's what I thought about this week. I don't want to be ashamed. Now, I'm not, nobody's going to be quoting me in, in Newsweek or anything like this, but my grandchildren know. I don't want my grandchildren one day to say, well, my, my granddaddy twisted scripture. My granddaddy didn't stand for the truth. Brother Al said it on Sunday. What do you say to these things? What do you say to these things that you learn? What about you? Are you going to stand for truth? Are you, going to, you, you may not have to stand up in front of people. You may not have to stand in front of a crowd. But what about your family? What about your children? You got one shot. One shot. One shot. You know the truth. Are you going to be bold? Are you going to be courageous? Are you going to be like those men? And give in to culture. And have to be ashamed. Ashamed for what you did. Let's pray. Father... Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are an incredible, awesome, mighty God. And I thank you, Lord, you have made us a little lower than the angels and you have crowned us with glory and honor. Father, help us to see that and know that and feel that into the deepest part of our beings and help us be, I prayed it last week, I'm going to pray it again, help us be bold. 
Help us be courageous. We know the truth. Help us, God. Don't help us not to be ashamed. If we'll stand for the truth, we will never be ashamed. We might be persecuted. We might be laughed at. We might be ridiculed. But I can tell you one thing. We will never be ashamed. Father, help me to be a, a grandfather that will never be ashamed. A father that will never be ashamed. A, a, an elder in this church. A teacher that will never be ashamed of what I've said. From Now, let us everyone be that way in the privacy of our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, give us courage and boldness to stand for truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at ROL Crawfordville for more information and directions.